Day is over, but the night has just begun. This is WTMJ Nights, live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue. Here's your host, Brian Noonan. Happy Thursday. Oh, my goodness. Yes, we're back for a shorty on WTMJ Nights, but we're going to jam as much as we can in before 8 o'clock. We want you to get involved, though. The old National Bank Talk and Text Line is 855-616-1620. If you call in, you'll be talking to Matt. He is executive producing the big broadcast tonight. And if you want to text, here's our text question of the night. You know Sunday is the Packers' home opener. Your opinion on adults wearing jerseys, yay or nay, and why? Adults wearing jerseys, yay or nay, and why? Now, I... uh. I I am for adults wearing jerseys. First of all, if you want to wear a jersey, God bless you. I don't care. Uh, I grew up uh, a fat kid, so I never could get a jersey. They, I, but then I became an adult, and uh, jerseys got a little bigger, and then I got smaller. And uh, so it was when I first was able to get some jerseys, uh, I was, oh, man, I was excited. And I, I wear them to the games. I don't care. Uh, I took a lot of heat from people that I knew and that I worked with at a former station, especially guys in the sports department, who gave me a hard time for wearing a jersey. Uh, now, I didn't have my name on the jersey, and most of the time I, would, um, I wouldn't get a jersey with a current player's name on it. You know, I would just get a generic one because you never know if the player that you really like this season is going to be gone in two seasons, and then you're stuck with a jersey. But uh, I did, when I was working with the Blackhawks on a station that carried the Blackhawks, I was gifted a Jonathan Taves jersey. I wore that jersey. I didn't care. Uh, I know I'm not Jonathan Taves. I know I can't play hockey. I know I'm not part of the team. But going to a, going to a Hawks game in a jersey, a sweater, please don't at me, hockey fans, I know it's called a sweater, um, I didn't mind it. If I go to a Sox game, I'll put on my Sox jersey and go to a game. I don't care. Uh, I'm I'm debating now because I'm going to uh, the Brewers game next week to root against the for the Brewers and against the Cubs. So I may have to invest in uh, some Brewer swag so that I can go and represent because I have a, I don't have a National League team. So I accept you know. I'm here with the Brewers, and I hear about them all the time, and I follow what they're doing. So I might as well adopt them as my National League team, especially when they are playing the Cubs, who, uh, for the record, I uh, have never been a fan of. So that's that. But um, so I'm all for it. I don't care if people, uh, you know, people give you a hard time do what Matt are you a jersey now you all you call the games so you're actually working some of the games but if you go as a fan do you uh are you pro or con wearing a jersey as an adult I am so pro jersey as a matter of fact like I have all my jerseys for all my teams in the same spot they travel together okay. because at any game that I'm at I feel a missing void if I go to a game and I'm not wearing of a game of a team that I support, not like a neutral game. Like if I go to Yankee Stadium and they're playing the Tampa Bay Rays, right? You're not, you gonna know, get, you're not going to gear up. If I'm going to a game with my teams in it, I have to have a jersey on. I, 
I think that I, if I have a jersey for that team, I'm wearing it. If not, it'll be a hat or a T-shirt or something. Now, where do we draw the line at how much is too much? If you're going to Lambeau on Sunday, are you going uh, jersey, green and gold Zubas, a hat, uh, perhaps green and gold socks? Are you uh, completely going super fan, or is it one piece is okay, two pieces, uh, if one of those pieces is a hat, all right, that's still cool, but where do we draw the line and say, uh, now, now you may have gone over the edge. You may be, you may be crossing a, a line that uh, you may not be able to come back from. I think if, you're wearing, if your whole body is ensconced in that team's swag, you, you may have gone a little overboard. You know, if you have those, uh, not just the Zubas, or, but you get the, uh, the overalls. Have you seen those? That's a lot for college, but I know they have them for pro teams not too. Not pro. That's something for the student section. Okay. <laughs> All right. No overalls for a pro game. All right. We, that's good. Where do you fall on the Jersey and Zubas combo? Nah, for me, it's above the waist, where, like for a baseball game, for example. Just am, like when you're making out. Nah, I'm totally okay, though, at a baseball game of you wearing a jersey and then a shirt representing the team underneath. Okay, yeah. You, you wear right, a hat wearing, as well. Sure, that's fine. But no, like, wear regular pants, whether it's sweats, <laughs> whether it's khakis, jeans, whatever you want, or All shorts, right. wear that. Socks, you know, people don't really see. So if you have a team socks, go ahead. Obviously, if it's winter, any coats or long sleeves, that can represent the team. But okay. the second you're decked out from head to toe, while I respect it, it's not something I would go with. All right. Yeah, I again, I'm for it. I know there are people who are against it. So uh, that is a text question. The 262 is saying, yay, because why not? Yes, exactly. Why not? Why not just relax? Speaking of dress codes in a way, let's take a break. And I know there are big, important stories coming out of the government, a, a potential government shutdown. Uh, we've got all sorts of things that are important. I will stipulate to all of that. But the last couple of days, when the focus of Congress has turned to their dress code, has got me thinking. And I'm wondering if you are thinking, too. We'll get to all that and more. 855-616-1620 is the old National Bank talk and text line. Get involved in the program. It's WTMJ Nights. Brian Nooner, WTMJ Nights. We got uh, another response to our text question of the night with the Packers home opener on Sunday. Adults wearing jerseys, yay or nay. Uh, from a 262 number, adults wearing jerseys is okay as long as it's a classic jersey. Horning, Nitschke, Star, no current players, please. I agree with that. I like uh, I like either. They don't even have to be Hall of Famers. It could be your favorite player from whenever, but uh, people who aren't playing anymore. Or, no, I'm going to go with people who aren't playing anymore. Either they've, uh, you know, retired or whatever. They're just not playing. They were your favorite player. That's always cool. Uh, when you see somebody with, when you see somebody wearing an obscure player's jersey, you're like, wow, this this person is really a fan of that player, so I like that. Um, they're debating not whether adults should wear jerseys, but whether senators should wear shorts and hoodies. As I said before the break, I will stipulate that, yes, there is a lot more important stuff we could be talking about with the government. 
But this seems like the classic government misdirection, which is why I bit hook, line, and sinker into the debate about the informal dress code now coming to the floor of the United States Senate. Uh, you may have heard this. It's all because, well, they say it's all because of um, the senator from Ohio, uh, John Fetterman, who ran his campaign basically wearing Carhartts and sweatshirts. And, you know, he's a man of the people. He's, he's a big man. He likes to dress comfortable. Then he got elected Senate to the Senate, and he wore a suit for a while, but then he had a stroke. And once he, once he, um, once he came back from the stroke, he decided, "Now nah, I'm going back to dressing comfy." So he's been wearing shorts and hoodies and stuff. And, and we know that most senators and Congress people wear business attire to go do the country's business. And I, this may surprise some of you because I'm going to come down on the side of a dress code for the Congress. Now, hear me. I despise dress codes at restaurants. Like, I won't go. If a plate, like, if a place says a man has to wear a jacket and it's somewhere fancy and it's a special occasion, okay. But for a regular night out for dinner, I'm not doing that. Forget about it. I think I, I may have told you I, was, I had to go to dinner. I didn't have to go to dinner. I shouldn't put it that way. Uh, one of my brothers was in town from Florida. He had asked us to go out to dinner. Another a brother of mine uh, belongs to a posh country club. And so he was like, oh, we can all have dinner at the country club. Words that uh, send chills up my spine. I'm not a country club kind of guy. And then we start, I, I was like, okay, yes, I'd love to see you. We're going to come out. My mom was going to be there. It was going to be a nice time. Uh, then I start getting all these texts about what we can wear, you know, you have to have a collared shirt. You have to, and most of it was fine until it came to uh, a man's got to have his shirt tucked in and no jeans. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But like, I wear a lot of Tommy Bahama style shirts that are meant to be untucked. I went with a shirt untucked. They didn't. Uh, they didn't throw me out. But when it comes to the people who are doing our country's most serious business, I think that there is a sense of decorum. And I know, see, this sounds old-fashioned, and that's what the people who are, or, who are supporting the ultra-casual dress code are saying. Well, if you say that, you're very old-fashioned. And maybe, maybe I am old-fashioned. But I, I also picked a job where I don't have a dress code. Matt, you've seen me. I don't really, uh, you know, I know during the day at the office, at the station, some people dress up a lot more. Um... Even when I'm in during the day, I'm not dressed up. I'll wear shorts. I'll, you know, it's radio. But I picked that because, I, you know, I knew that I was going into a thing where I could dress however I wanted. Stand up, I could wear whatever I want, you know. But when I go to school, there's a very loose dress code, you know. Um, like khakis and a, a shirt with a collar. Unless it's workout Wednesday or... Uh, Friday, or maybe it's a pajama day, but you know what I mean. I can deal. I can deal with that dress code. If I worked in a place that required me to wear a suit, I'd wear a suit every day. And I think for the business that is happening on the Capitol, you don't like. I don't think you need to wear a tie because that that's kind of in business. 
there's certain places that require a turnout. But I think I think a sport coat or a suit for a senator, a male senator, or like a, a pantsuit or something like that for a lady. I don't know what to, I, I don't know, but professional business dress is what I'm saying. It could even be business casual if you just want to wear a sport coat and uh, some slacks. Who says slacks? Matt, did I just sound like I'm 108 years old talking about slacks? I'll cut you some, some slack. No, thank you. Throw some Sansa belts on. Head on, head on into swell. Congress. Boop, boop, boop. Oh, sure. <laughs> but there are places that deserve that kind of respect. And I think the Senate and the House of Representatives are two of those places. I don't... I don't want somebody coming in to vote on the military spending or the government shutdown coming right from the gym in their sweaty t-shirt. I want you, just like I want you to put thought into what you're voting on, I want you to put a little bit of thought in how you're representing your constituents. Because let's be honest, when these people are out on the campaign trail, oh, they're, they're looking, they're not coming up dressed like slobs. You know, they're showing up. And I I, I thought about this long and hard because I was like, well, it's it's going to come off like I'm uh, some stuck-in-the-past old man uh, who's, you know, screaming at the clouds. But, you know, there, there's a time and a place, and there's there's certain things you wear. And I know we've gotten casual, and I've, I have embraced it, but I also think you got to dress. There used to be the saying, dress for the job you want, not the job you have. I think when it comes to Congress and Senate, dress for the job you have. What do you think about that? 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talking text line. I want to hear from you on WTMJ. Yeah. See if you sense a theme with the bump music tonight. A little, a little game. Are there prizes? No, of course not. But uh, we can play a game anyway. All right, we're talking about the proposed uh, dress code change in the Senate and the House. Uh, I said uh, something about being an old man screaming at the clouds. 262 said, being on the radio, are you not an old man screaming at the clouds? Yes, of course I am. You got me. I am <laughs> I'm that. Uh, from the 414, as long as you represent the people, who cares? I See, but I don't. I don't think you can accurately... You can't make you can't make that comparison because putting on something nice and again I'm not saying you have to wear a tuxedo I don't think that you need to wear uh, you know custom made custom tailored suits or dresses I think John Fetterman could go in in a pair of Dockers and a blue blazer every day with a polo under it or a button down shirt and to me that's fine business casual okay. You don't want to wear a tie? I'm good with that. I don't want to wear ties. Maybe someday, maybe some days I wear a tie, some days I don't, but who cares? But you need to treat what's going on in those chambers with seriousness. And serious people don't come into work in their pajamas. You never went to Walmart and saw the people wandering around, me included, and uh, looked at that, these are serious people. No. You need, to, you need to present a certain image. You need to show that what you're doing is important. 
It's important enough because I guarantee you the same restaurants that those politicians are going to after are not going to let them roll in in khaki or in uh, sweats and shorts. So if it's good enough to wear to eat dinner, it's more than good enough to come in and vote on the important laws for our land. From the 9 to 1, I think that business dress is appropriate for the roles of the people running our country. Uh, and, oh, the second text is, didn't come through. But, yes, I agree. Again, business casual, that's all I'm asking. You know, ladies, I'm not sure what entails business casual. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to seem goofy, but a skirt, dress, blazer, a suit, whatever, whatever you want to wear. Guys, suit or a sport coat, some uh, dress pants. You can wear soft-soled soft shoes. I don't care. Wear comfortable shoes. You're going to be running around all day. But um, now I can't. I can't with the uh, with the shorts and the hoodies. All right, Google is getting sued. Sounds like a joke. It's not really. We'll talk about that on the other side of the news. But right now it is six thirty, and we go to the WTMJ twenty four hour breaking news center. Jessica Gatso standing by. Thanks. Just a few more uh, responses to the potential changing of the dress code um, from Dar. What happened to majority rules? Would they change for a Republican? Or if the you know if the Republicans had brought it up, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Um, when you go to eat, do you wear a baseball cap? My pet peeve is guys with a hat on when dining, exception for sports bar restaurants. From the two six two, why would they dress respectfully when they can't converse respectfully? And from the 920, they need to dress appropriately. Would you want your doctor showing up for surgery in a tank top and cut off shorts? I would not. I, I don't want to think that my, do my doctor was just at the beach crushing some white claws and then rolled in to take out my gallbladder. That's uh, no, you, you got a point there, 920. I want, <laughs> I want my doctor to seem like he's uh, been studying medical books right before he rolled in, like he was boning up on my surgery. So let's, uh, let's see if we can do that. All right, <clears throat> Matt was Matt was uh, about to play some audio that uh, may have been in bad taste, but would have been very very funny for this. Uh, I'm going to say up front this: uh, the person in this story died. However, I there is a another lawsuit, and we hear about these lawsuits all the time. This one is against Google, and they're being sued over giving fatal bridge directions. Man in North Carolina uh, died when he drove his car off a collapsed bridge while following Google Maps directions. He's suing the family is suing the technology giant for negligence, claiming it had been informed of the collapse but failed to update its investigation. Um. All right, let, let's get some more details. But at at some point, and I first of all, I feel horrible for this man's family. It is uh, if. You know, whatever we discuss has no bearing on the fact that uh, the tragedy of this man's death. Let's just, we'll get that out there. Because I know we're going to get people going, this is, a man died, how can you say that? Well, because, we'll see. So he was a medical device salesman. He was a father of two. He uh, plunged into a uh, snow creek in Hickory, North Carolina, home of the Hickory Crawdads. Um, it's a little, little baseball uh Baseball team there for you, Matt. 
Paxton was driving home from his daughter's ninth birthday through an unfamiliar neighborhood. Google Maps allegedly directed him to cross a bridge that had collapsed nine years prior and was never repaired. All right. Now, uh, state troopers, they found the body. He had uh, driven off an unguarded edge, crashed about 20 feet below. The North Carolina State Patrol said the bridge is not was not maintained by local or state officials. So who who maintains bridges in this area of Hickory, North Carolina? I don't know. Um, the lawsuit names some of the management companies that had built these subdivisions and I guess put a little bridge in or bridges in. They they say the management company is responsible, but they also say Google is responsible because. There have been uh, emails from residents of that area telling Google, hey, this bridge is out, you need to take it off, and Google did not update their maps. So they're saying uh, there are residents as far back as 2020. The accident happened in 2022. Uh, November 2022 email confirmation from Google confirms that the company did, in fact, receive the report and was reviewing the suggested edit. Google says we have the deepest sympathies for the Paxson family. Uh, our goal is to provide accurate routing information in maps, and we are reviewing this lawsuit. All right, that is, I'm not a lawyer. This is a, uh, you know, Jeff Wagner probably has a different uh, outlook on this because he is, a for, he is an attorney. I look at this and I say, sometimes accidents happen. Was this accident pushed ahead a little bit by Google Maps? Yes. But were they negligent? That's up to a court. Again, I am i don't know all the ins and outs of that. But where do we take the human element out of this? But I'm wondering when you're, you know, they're, they're suing, the family's suing Google because Google's got a lot of money. They're suing some of these developers, but the developers are either out of business or not around, so they can't um, they can't really get anything out of them. I'm not saying it's a cash grab. What I'm saying is, where does human responsibility end? Uh, I use Google Maps. I I use um, Waze. I use all of the uh, both of those, but I also use my own common sense when I'm driving. And you, I, I find it hard to think that you could drive off a, off a bridge without seeing it before you get to the end. Now, obviously, it can happen. It happened in this case. I don't think, I don't think Google is responsible for this because, come on, we're, we're expecting a major corporation with navigational tools that go all over the world. When I was in Ireland, my, my cousins told me, use Google Maps because it's, you know, Waze doesn't work over here. Use Google Maps. Google Maps has mapped out routes around the globe. A small bridge in a subdivision, it's, who can't see that that's a, that's an, a mistake? Even with an email going, hey, this bridge is out. I don't know. From the 414 asking, why wasn't it blocked off? I don't know. According to the authorities, nobody's in charge of this bridge. Now, if I live in Hickory, North Carolina, and I live in this subdivision, 
and this bridge has been out for as long as they say it's been out, I'm, a, I'm at City Hall every day screaming and yelling. I'm getting all my neighbors and screaming and yelling until somebody does something about this bridge. But I'm not going to blame Google because Google has a satellite up in space. They, they aren't in your subdivision in Hickory, North, Car North Carolina. What do you think about this? Who's, who's responsible? And I've talked to lawyers about cases like this before, and sometimes accidents just happen. And sometimes those accidents are tragic, and that is this is one of those cases. But, and I'm not an, you know me, I'm not an apologist for corporations. Uh, but this one, I'm like, nah, I, I just don't see it. What do you think? 855-616-1620, the old National Bank talk and text line. Old National Bank, get old. Let's talk. It's WTMJ Nights. That's at least not, uh, not that bad. We're talking about Google being sued by a family of a man in North Carolina who uh, drove off the, uh, the edge of the road because Google told them a bridge was there. The bridge has been out for nine years. Um, the city and the state both say they're not responsible for maintaining this bridge. So there were no, uh, there were no barricades. There were no markings. Uh, Google had received some emails about the bridge being out. Where does corporate responsibility end and your our personal responsibility begin? I'm wondering about this. Uh, from the 920, I don't believe Google is responsible either. Uh, there must be some sort of process where you take a bridge out and close a road. It's unbelievable it went so long without being addressed. I agree with that 100%. Uh, is the city municipality not somewhat at fault for not having it blocked off, or was it a private estate? No, it was a neighborhood, so it was a neighborhood development. It doesn't say if it was a private neighborhood. It says he was the, the, the man who died was unfamiliar with this neighborhood. Um, there, you know, private property management companies are named in the suit as well. Um, regardless, seems like a huge safety hazard. Google is not at fault. One of the first rules of driver's ed is that drivers take their own life and others into their hands when they get behind the wheel. As we're taught in law enforcement, driving is a privilege, not a right. Common sense must take precedence. Thoughts and prayers of the family and anyone affected by his loss. Yeah, see, I this is where it gets, you know, we can talk about this without, without you know, acknowledging that this is a tragedy. But sometimes accidents do happen. But... Linda is in Brookfield. She wants to sue Google, too. Hi, Linda. Hey, Brian. Yeah, well, I, it's, I'm kind of joking on that. I came home and told my husband I wanted to sue them, and he's like, you can't sue Google. But I was, <laughs> traveling, I, I was traveling home by myself from Three Lakes, Wisconsin, and I, we always take 45 to Oshkosh. Well, 45, about 30 minutes into my, you know, leaving Three Lakes, the road was closed. There were guys working on it, and they said, you know, I'm, like, putting my hands up in there, like, what, what, you know? And <laughs> there was no signage prior to that saying that oh. the road was going to be closed. So, anyway, I quick got out my Google and, and my Waze app, and I tried to figure out, you know, how I could get how I could get around this area that was closed. It was a bridge. Anyway, they both said to turn on least road and that okay. was just a little you know a couple 
couple blocks down from where I was, so I turn on this road. It's gravel. Well, okay, I keep going on it. I'm driving. It's getting narrower and narrower. Oh, my God. Uh, eventually, it turns into an ATV trail. I mean, that's what people have told me it sounds like. I mean, there were branches hanging over. They were hitting my car. There were, you know, some small trees across the road. Eventually, I got to a place where there were two big trees about a foot apart. I figured if I get over one, I may not get over the other. And I'm now, you know, like 20 minutes into a woods where there's nobody. Linda, can I and, can I ask you, and I'm not, I'm not trying to make fun, didn't you? You didn't realize when you were on the gravel that this might not be the way to go? Well, yeah. And, I mean, that's, I guess, where personal responsibility comes in. But I was desperate to get home. Sure. And oh, I, I get that. Want, you know, I didn't, you know, I just thought, okay, if this is going to go through and eventually get me back to 45. And, you know, at one point, Brian, I could not, I could no longer turn around. Oh, it my was God. so, such thick woods that I could not turn around. Well, when I got to these two trees, I had to, I was like, okay, I can't do this. If I get stuck out here, I mean, I didn't pass a house. I didn't pass anything. And so I started backing up. Well, I had to back up probably at least a mile and a half. Trees are hitting my car. I mean, the thing that made me mad by the time I got out of there was my car was so scratched up from all the branches and trees. Because oh, when imagine. I backed up, yeah, and that's what made me so mad. And you know, I, you know, two different apps said this is this is uh, you know legitimate um, way to get around this area. So why wow. would they tell me to on this that, road? It doesn't make like, sense that they would send you down there. I, you know, these exactly. the apps are great, but they all they give they give bad information a lot. You know, right? Where and, if. And I, should have turned around. I mean, well, well, I'm glad I'm glad you're all right and didn't get stuck out there with the children of the corn or Slender Man or whatever's lurking in the woods out there. But holy cow! I'm yeah, glad well, too. Yes. All right. Well, Linda, thank you for the call. That's wow. That is amazing. I've I've been lost before, but never on something like that. That's why. Listen, I don't care what anybody says. This is I'm going to cement my I'm going to cement my place as an old man tonight, Matt. Since first it was I think people should dress up to go to work. I think we should all learn how to read maps again. It was so much easier not to go over into rivers or into a lake or down the woods if you had an actual map. That's, you know, I grew up reading maps. When I lived in Los Angeles, you had to have a Thomas guide which was like the size of a phone book. You had to do that. I am. Uh, I can navigate my way anywhere if I have an atlas in the car. We got to do this. Then there's more. Holy cow! It's WTMJ Nights. Oh, what's the date today? Amazing! It is the 21st night of September. Brian Noonan, WTMJ Nights, talking about uh, this lawsuit against Google uh, because a man drove off of a bridge that had been. Closed for nine years now, and then we heard from Linda, who followed Google and Waze into a what turned into an ATV trail. I can I can empathize because 
Uh, remember the, the total solar eclipse a few years ago? Uh, part of where it was the path of totality went right over my alma mater, Southern Illinois University. So four buddies and I decide we're going to go down for the eclipse. We go down. It's great. If you've never been to a total solar eclipse, it's amazing. Uh, but that's another story. The point is, trying to leave southern Illinois with about a million other people uh, was not good. Traffic was at a standstill everywhere, on every interstate, on every uh, state and county highway. It was bad. So we were navigating via Google Maps. Now, thankfully, I had uh, a, a guy in the back seat who was doing all the navigation that that was his whole job but there were there was one time in particular where we were on a country road just not not two lane just a one lane paved road in the middle of nowhere and it had us make a right turn and it was between two cornfields and it was a gravel road and i went about a hundred yards I I said, this is dumb, especially because some uh, jacked up farmer came flying down the other way and he had to be going, and I'm not exaggerating, he had to be going 70 miles an hour on this gravel path. And I was like, this this gravel path is not for us. So we went back to the, the paved road at least, and we started heading north on this paved road, and then Google recalibrated and sent us down some other roads. But I was like, no, I... You know, there's there's a point where like I maybe it'll maybe it'll take me somewhere, but one I'm heading east. I need to be heading north, and two it's a gravel road, and three like I said, the children of the corner there. Linda texted in after I said everybody should learn how to read a map, and said that she stopped at a quick trip uh, right after she got out of the woods and asked if they sold maps. Um, no, they did not sell maps. I don't even I the last atlas I bought I had to get at Walmart. That's the only place that had atlases. Um, but I still, I still love reading a map. Do you know how to read a map, Matt? I do. It's a must. Do you? Good. Well, yeah, because you travel all over doing games and stuff, so you have to know where. Well, not only that, you know. but nav systems should be a crush for people. You should not have to rely on it 100%. Now, I don't have an atlas in my car. If I travel far, if it's a long road trip, I'll throw one in. Sometimes I still print out directions. It depends on where I'm going. Wow, you're going old school with what the major uh, what highways map are. Quest. What if my phone dies? Exactly. What if my yeah. phone suddenly shuts off? What if I'm in the middle of nowhere on a back yep. road? You just never know. You got to play it safe. Got to be ready. All right, uh, we got to be because Tundra Talk comes your way after the news, which happens after this on WTMJ. It's only week two. No need to overreact. I'm not going to get into it. It's probably going to be like this from here on out. Or should we? It's time for Tundra Talk on WTMJ Nights. Here's your host, Brian Newton, with Brandon Snide. Oh my goodness, yes. Week two didn't end quite like the Packers would have hoped. It looked like it was going to, but then uh, the fourth quarter happened. Brandon Snide has been following along. I, I gave in... I gave him enough time after Sunday to collect himself to be here for Tundra Talk. Uh, Brandon, we don't want to dwell too much on last week, but things were looking good. You know, granted, the Packers, again, we, we got to say the youngest roster, youngest active roster, but where do you, where did you focus your ire after the fourth quarter on Sunday? 
Uh, well, good evening, Brian. It's always a pleasure. Good evening, Brian. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, it's the same old story for me. It's the defense. I mean, it just the things that we have grown accustomed to being upset at and frustrated with continued again on Sunday afternoon where the defense allowed 16 straight points. Now the offense didn't do them any favors, obviously, but right. when you, when you're given 24 points as a defense you're given a 12 point lead and only one quarter to go against a, let's just be honest, a quarterback who's not very good, at least not proven. You got to come out and win. You got to come out and finish that game. And uh, they came out in the fourth quarter. They, they tackled poorly. They covered poorly. I don't know if Jair Alexander had any desire to play a night game on Sunday. Certainly didn't look like it. Um, but my, I mean, I, my attention, my, you know, frustration is pointed at the defense. Again, for a now, team you, that is, like you said, as young as they are, the defense is not, right? They're, they're a veteran right. group. They're, they got leaders on that side of the field. There's no excuses anymore. Uh, so that's where the frustration lies for me. So do we lay the blame at Joe Barry's feet? Do we lay the blame at the players' feet? Do we? Uh, is it equal opportunity blame? Uh, yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think it's both. Um, Jair Alexander had an interception that literally hit him in the chest. Yeah, would have been a pick six. I mean, you add you add four points to uh, the final score, and the Packers win that game. Um, Quay Walker dropped an interception, hit him straight in the hands. So. As players, you have to execute, right? You have an opportunity. Yeah. You have to take a hold of that. You know, I, I can't really, you know, sit here and explain what Joe Barry called, what he didn't call. You know, it looked like the players had every opportunity to come out victorious on that field with a couple of opportunities that they just couldn't grab. And to me, that falls more on the players than it does Joe Barry. I mean, we've we've seen it in week one. Like, Joe Barry is going to put this defense in a position to where – they can play how they're comfortable. Jael Alexander, Rasul Douglas, they went to his office last year and complained, hey, we want to play, we want to follow the number one receiver. We want to follow him wherever he goes. And, and they got their wish. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's just at some point, you know, you're getting paid so much money on that defensive side of the football, you know, between uh, the, the offense and the defense. The defense outweighs the, the offense by a, by a, a ton. You know, you've got to show up. You know, you got to get off the field. You're talking about 13 more minutes of time of possession that the Falcons controlled the ball. Ten more first downs, and and get this, Brian, 31 more ran plays. Wow. From the yeah, Falcons there was not, to, the, to the Packers. There was not a lot of offense. Which you know, some people are saying, well, the defense, you know, the defense was looking winded because they were out there so long. But that's that's part of the game. Jordan Love had a, had a pretty good game, a one thirteen and a half passer rating. Uh, you know, he was protected pretty well. Where where does that break down as we get toward the end of the game? I mean, I, there was the there was the fourth and short call that was uh, I don't I don't know what was going on when they they <laughs> I'm not sure. It looked like did. It, was it going to be a sneak? Was it what's who's calling the plays? But where did where was the offensive breakdown as we got into the fourth quarter? And by we, you know, because I, I was, the, you know, playing Madden. <laughs> uh, I think it, it lies with the the um, failure to be able to establish the run. You know, the Packers could not establish the run really at all. I think uh, AJ Dillon had just over fifty yards throughout the course of the game. The running lanes weren't there. It doesn't help when you number one don't have David Bakhtiari to start the game, and then in the second quarter, your Pro Bowl left guard, Elton Jenkins, goes down. Now, Rasheed Walker 
uh, and Royce Newman filled in on the left side. And, and Matt LaFleur mentioned it on Monday's press conference that he thought they did a pretty good job. But still, it's not an all-pro and it's not a pro bowler on that left side. So the offensive line uh, took a little bit of a hit. You know, you weren't able to establish the run. And when you can't run the ball on first down, you're going into obvious passing downs and second and third downs, um, which the defense obviously knew was coming. And, and they, they had pretty good lock on Jordan Love and the wide receivers. And again, no Christian Watson. I mean, I can't emphasize enough. We, yeah. You and I have talked about it enough on this show. What he does to a defense and what he can bring to an offense, even if he's not getting the ball, just changes everything about how they run the, the Matt LaFleur scheme. So it's just uh, you got to be able to establish the run. The Packers obviously were not able to do that, and the Falcons knew that and put them into obvious passing downs. And, you know, Jordan Love did, I think, what I wanted Jordan Love to do. And I, after two weeks, Brian, if we, you know, you and I are having this chat uh, two weeks ago, and we're like, hey, after week two, Keep in mind, they've been on the road for two straight weeks. Sure, Jordan Love's going to lead the league in passing touchdowns and passer rating. I would ask you, where you know, where do I put my <laughs> money to put a bet on that? Because that's not going to happen. But right. here we are. I mean, it's not the, the the fault of this Green Bay Packers defense. Believe it or not, as young as they are, again, you mentioned it uh, at the top of the hour, isn't their fault that they lost that game. It's the defense. It's the veteran, right. not the young guys anymore. All right. Well, we are going to get, let me ask you uh, for an update on some of these injuries and then we'll take a break. And then we got to, uh, New Orleans. The Saints are going to march into Lambeau. We're going to, we're going to break that down a little bit. But where do we stand? I, I know there were, Bakhtiari still didn't practice. What's going on with all the, all the top injuries? So there's some good news, some maybe good news, maybe bad news. Uh, Christian Watson returned to practice on Wednesday. That's the good news. He did not practice yep. today. However, that was scheduled to have an off day. So they want to see they practiced him Wednesday. They ran him on, on Wednesday in team drills. They wanted to rest him on Thursday at my guess. They want to see how his body reacts on Friday. So Friday will be the big indicator for Christian Watson. So he's at least trending in the right direction. The best news of the day, Brian, was that Aaron Jones, after not practicing for uh, over 10 days, returned nice. in limited fashion. That's okay because he is returning and trending in the right direction. So Aaron Jones was a practice participant today. Christian Good. Watson did not practice, but that was planned. However, on the bad side of things, no Elton Jenkins. We anticipate he's probably going to miss some time with that knee injury. Uh, they labeled it as a sprained MCL. He was supposed to have an MRI this week, but I don't know if they ever really gave a timetable on his return. They have not put him on IR, which okay. could be good news. Uh, so Elton yeah. Jenkins did not practice, and no David Bakhtiari. But I don't – I. I would be shocked to see number 69 practice the course of the season, even if he's healthy. I think it's just going to be how it is with David Bakhtiari. He was extremely emotional at his locker room, uh, at his locker, I'm sorry, in the locker room, talking about that injury and how frustrating it was for him not to be able to go in week two. So it's a guy that's, again, battling, you know, an injury. And, I mean, he did not practice at all this week. I don't anticipate him practicing, you know, he said at his locker that if he's good to go, he will be there on Sunday. And you got to imagine with the with the Lions on Thursday night, it's probably going to be either Bakhtiari plays Sunday or he doesn't play until Thursday. I, I, chances of him playing Sunday and then right away on Thursday, very, very yeah, low. That's, all right, Brandon Snyder is here. This is Tundra Talk. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back. Uh, you were talking about the Packers' run game not uh, not being in full force. That may prove a problem 
with the Saints. We'll talk about that and so much more. It's Tundra Talk on WTMJ Nights. Now, more of WTMJ Nights. Oh, when the Saints go marching in. It's Hundred Talk on WTMJ Nights. I'm Brian Newton. Brandon Snide joins me every Thursday night. We uh, already looked back at last week's disappointing outcome in Atlanta. Well, the New Orleans Saints are coming to Lambeau for the home opener on Sunday. And, um, Brandon, you were talking about the Packers having trouble with the running game. New Orleans defense has not let a team have more than 20 points in the last 10 games. They have top-tier defenders pretty much from the line all the way back. What are the Packers going to have to change or update or do to make an impact on this uh, New Orleans defense? Yeah, I think when you look at the Saints defense, I mean, they're they're like, like the Packers, Brian, they're very experienced on that side of the football. They really don't give up a whole lot of plays. Uh, big plays, I'm sorry. You know, uh, Dennis Allen group, they're going to be stingy, right? They're going to play sticky coverage. Um, adding a guy like Christian Watson and Aaron Jones, if you can add both, terrific. Uh, but I think if you're looking at both of you know, one of the two, Aaron Jones is the key piece for the Packers against that defense because of what Aaron Jones can do out of that backfield. Nobody, and, and this is no offense to A.J. Dillon. I love A.J. Dillon. No defense fears A.J. Dillon. He's not a home run hitter. You know, they're, A.J. Dillon is in the backfield. They're not going to play, you know, a seven, eight-man front. And their defensive front's already really good. Cameron Jordan, Demario Davis in the middle of that defense. Again, veteran leadership. Um, but Aaron Jones is a home run hitter. He's a guy where the defense has to account for no matter where he is on the football field. So in order for the Green Bay Packers to have a little bit of success against the Saints defense, you've got to have one of your two home run hitters in there. If you can get both. Great, um, but it's going to be like a strength-on-strength strength game. The Packers offense, five touchdowns in the red zone on six trips. The Saints defense, on the other hand, only has allowed one touchdown on six trips. So it's right. like strength-on-strength strength, uh, for the matchup. You know, It's going to be interesting to see who prevails. Um, you hope the Green Bay Packers obviously had more success than they did uh, on third down in Atlanta. They just could not get a third down in that fourth quarter when they needed one. And I think that's the big thing with Matt LaFleur and Jordan Love. And I, and sometimes during that game on Sunday, I was yelling to myself because nobody else listens to me uh, <laughs> saying, just make it, just make it simple for Jordan. He doesn't need these complex routes. Do what you go back to what you were doing in the preseason. It was obviously it worked. It worked in week one. So um, simplify the playbook a little bit for Jordan Love, get that ball out of his hand because if you don't have, Bakhtiari or Elton Jenkins, which chances are you you won't. Saints are coming. I mean, that front seven is the real deal. So they're going to have to uh, to get that that ball moving, get get out of the uh, get that ball out of Jordan Love's hands really quick. Well, to your point on that, that, that's perfect sense because their run defense, the Saints' run defense, 102 yards they're holding opponents to. You know that's. So you're gonna have to you're gonna have to throw. So you're gonna have to give Jordan Love those targets downfield to at least uh, go because they're the Saints haven't even given up a rushing touchdown yet. So no, they have good. not. And and I don't and I and if Aaron Jones don't play, I don't I don't think they're gonna give up another one right. through week three yeah. either. All right. So what what is the um, 
What's the Packers defense going to have to do against Derek Carr? You know, their offense, their offense is doing okay. They're, you know, they're passable. Nothing, nothing great. But uh, are there, are there holes on that, uh, that side of the ball for the Saints that the Packers can exploit? Oh, there's, there's, yeah, there's holes, Brian. I, first off, they don't have Alvin Kamara, right? So their, uh, their running game is just as suspect as the Green Bay Packers on offense if Aaron Jones does not play. Um, so if you can control their running game, which I think the Green Bay Packers at this point with the people that they have on their side of the ball should be able to do, then you can pin your ears back as a defensive front and play into what the strength is of the Green Bay Packers, and that's your pass rush. You know, I don't think Derek Carr had a tough time on Monday night against Carolina, you know, getting anything. He had a big play downfield. That's what got them moving in towards the red zone. But other than that, um, they had their way up front with the, with the New Orleans Saints uh, offensive line. So if Green Bay, and again, this kind of plays into what the offense needs to do. If Green Bay can get ahead in this game, if they can go down, maybe have an opening drive score, maybe get a stop, throw up a field goal, get in that 10 to 14 point range where New Orleans has got to be like, okay, well, we got to throw the ball. Well, you got Jair Alexander who can, in my opinion, lock down Michael Thomas. You got Rasul Douglas on the other side. And then your strength of your defense is rushing the passer. Yeah, Get what are we, five sacks so out. far in the first two games? Is that right? Right. Yeah, and uh, um, Gary leads uh, – Rashawn Gary leads the NFL in pressure rates. I mean, and he hasn't played a whole lot, so it's kind of an incredible, really. But their line – their this defense is built to rush the passer. But in order to rush the passer, you got to take away the run game. In order to take away the run game, you got to score on offense. So it's, it, it all plays into one another – um, but I, I'm looking for that offense in Green Bay to get off to a fast start. I'll be there uh, in person watching that game. So I, I anticipate Green Bay is going to get out to a fast start, and then that's going to put the Packers' defense and take a little bit of pressure off that defense where it's not, you know, such a tight game where they got to stop, you know, the running on, on third and three, and they give up four yards and the drives keep going. That just never seemed to end on Sunday against uh, the Atlanta Falcons. So uh, bringing back Sunday – um, we've talked about the age. Some of the rookies really stood out. Is there anybody you're looking to uh, on this uh, on Sunday at home finally to really jump out and for the fans to go, oh man, this is what all the hype is about on this player? Luke Musgrave. Okay. Luke Musgrave, the tight end, the rookie tight end for the Green Bay Packers, six six, super fast. He has not been targeted as much as I thought that he would now him and Jordan their timing seems a little like a tick off just a just a little bit um he had a he made a couple of catches in that in that week one against the Bears where he was falling over his feet and he had a couple of catches uh, against Atlanta I think he had four targets against Atlanta I want to see his targets increase and I okay. think they will uh over time he's again a rookie you know he's going to have his moments um but he's a guy where if you can integrate him into this offense and eventually when you get guys like Christian Watson and Aaron Jones back healthy, Luke Musgrave to me becomes that X factor on offense because there's not many safeties or linebackers that are running four fives uh, with a tight end who's six, six, and he moves like a receiver. I mean, if you, if you watch him run, you wouldn't know he's a tight end. You know, he's smooth as butter, except the bears game when he fell over his own feet, when he had a wide open touchdown, but, well, that, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, it Let was it go, Brandon. Come on. <laughs> but uh, I think, I think, 
I think it's Luke Musgrave uh, in the middle of the field, and, and no team has targeted the middle of the field more than the Green Bay Packers. All right. Uh, this was our text question tonight. I want to know where you stand on this. Adults wearing jerseys, yay or nay, from Brandon Snide? I do not. The only jerseys I wear are if they're retired or they have passed away. So I have a Bart Starr and I have a Reggie White. But yes. I see nothing wrong. I see nothing wrong with adults wearing jerseys. All right, good. That's it, that we are in that, agreement. That's your team. If I'm rooting for Jordan Love, physically, like physically, you know, out there yelling, screaming at my house, wherever. Why? What is the jersey on the back? You know, his name on the back of my jersey. What does it matter? I, I'm cheering for him. <laughs> I love it. I and I'm with you. I like the the retired or passed away. You know, the 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 old timer jerseys. That's great. All right, we got to ask you the, the prediction to close out Tundra Talk for this week. So I'm one and one right now. I picked the Bears, right? I picked the Falcons, right? So I'm, I'm thinking, Brian, you know, you win one, you lose one, you get back to winning one. So we're going to have a winner uh, this week. And, I, you know, you know, I'm going to pick the Packers again. Eventually I probably won't pick the Packers, but I'm going to take the Packers. I think it's going to be a little bit of a slugfest. It's going to be a little uh, choppy here and there. It's two offenses that are trying to figure their way out and two defenses that should be, well, the Saints are good. The Packers should be good. Um, but I'm going to go Green Bay. 23, New Orleans 17. be a little bit of a, a lower-scoring game, but right. uh, in the second half, Jordan Love's going to find Luke Musgrave for a touchdown and get the Packers rolling into the right direction. All right, well, from, uh, from your mouth to the Packers' ears, Brandon, always good to talk to you. We'll do it again next week. Thanks. Uh, th- oh, wait, no, is next week Detroit? We have a Thursday night game. Yeah, we have Thursday night game. Thursday All right, we'll have to. F- so maybe we'll have to f- whatever you whatever you Wednesday. need me to do, you let me know. Yeah, I that will. Works. Well, we will talk again soon. I appreciate the time. Uh, thank you, Brandon Snide. You can hear him in the morning. You can hear him all over. Read his extra points on wtmj.com, and of course, listen to him here on Tundra Talk on WTMJ Nights. Now more of WTMJ Nights. Yeah, it's not working if you get that money for nothing. Brian Noonan, WTMJ Knights, 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Do you worry that with the advent of all the sports betting sites and sports betting becoming so widespread and so mainstream that people, young people especially, are going to get addicted and develop gambling problems i'm i i'm not a gambler and i i think there's a couple reasons but the main one is i don't have a lot of money to lose so um you know i will gamble a little bit if i go to vegas but it's always a couple hundred bucks if i lose it i'm done if i can maintain that couple hundred bucks for the whole weekend even if i don't come home with any winnings but i gamble and had fun for the weekend uh all right good i had a good time Uh, I don't bet on sports because, and Matt, this is going to disgust you, but as many times, I have a friend, a former co-worker, who is now a big sports betting correspondent in Boston on on the, uh, the Boston sports television station. And he has explained to me a million times, you know, the over, the under, the this and that, and favored by this, and uh, favored by uh, minus three plus... I can't, I can't understand it. I'm really bad at it. So that's why I don't bet on sports. If you tell me the line on the pay is Packers plus three 
I don't know if that's actually the line. I don't know, you know. I'm like, oh, all right, does that mean the Packers are going to win or the Saints are going to win by three? I don't understand. So, yeah, that's that's one reason I don't bet. The other is that I don't have the money. And, um, two, I'd rather spend my money on, you know, either a swag or beer or something else. Are you a gambling man, Matt? I'm not. I only put money down on very limited things. For example, your fantasy football league or your March Madness okay. pool. But also, my days of even that are going, you know, by the wayside because I can't do it. Like, I know people who are in business, either they're working for teams and you, you legally cannot. All right. And, and plus, as a guy who's uh, doing doing some play-by-play already and, do, and working for stuff, uh, and that's what you want to do for the rest of your life, it's probably good not to get... Yeah. It, you know. Well, not like do I not have the money for it, but at the same time, it's just, like you said, I can't do the daily gambling on sports because even though I think I'd be good at it, it's just too... <laughs> It's too much. I understand the literature behind it. Like, if the Packers are plus three, it means that they're the underdogs. They get three okay. points handed to them. So, I th- I understand that. I can do that, and I can have a conversation about it, but I just can't. It, it just doesn't feel good. Yeah, I think uh, they're just too much stress. But the reason I brought this up is they're, they are seeing now um, patients as young as 15 with gambling problems. Uh, this is according to a clinical professor of psychiatry. He said, we're introducing a potentially addictive disorder at a very, very early age, and yet it's designed for 21 and older, and they're blaming that on the fact that sports betting is everywhere, and because the regulation on it is mm, uh, not, too, not too great, that uh, teens are getting access to this. So I... You know, I worry about it because I. One of my brothers used to make some bets. He was not like a degenerate gambler, and he didn't lose a lot of money. But uh, you know, he would make some. He would make some sports bets, and I know friends of mine who bet on sports all the time. And it's like, oh boy, I. I don't know. My it family takes, does it too. Like, do they really? Yeah. So I'm at a family dinner last Saturday, and one of my family members. We have the Alabama South Florida game on. Okay. And. He just started high school. He's a freshman in high school. Okay. And I arrived late. I was calling a college football game. I sit down and, you know, make conversation. And I think Alabama scored a touchdown. I forget what it was exactly. But they scored a touchdown, and he was upset. And I'm like, do you want USF to win? And he's like, no, I got Alabama. Or I got US. Or he was losing in the bet at that point. Okay. And so he was frustrated. He's 15 years old. I'm like, what are you... And what's his? What was his tie to either Alabama or South Florida? Kids bet to bet nowadays. Oh man, I that's, I can't do it. It's just scary. too now, who much. Does he, who does he pet? Who do he place the bet with? Just like I don't know. I didn't bookie? bother. <laughs> I didn't bother asking. Who knows? It might be for lunch money during the week. Wow. Homework maybe. That's... You win the bet. You do my math homework. Oh, that is no. I'm I'm betting they're they're betting for money somehow. Who knows? But, it, it's oh ridiculous. Fifteen or, or four? What's fourteen? Fifteen in high school? Yeah, something like that. But he just started wow. high school, and his biggest concern is Alabama winning to help out a bet. Oh my god! Like, you're, <laughs> the you're Crimson fi- Tide screwed me on Saturday. Oh man! Like I got a. What were your lunch conversations like back in the day? Like, come on. 
yeah, I. It would take all the enjoyment of watching a game out of it for me. I, I've never even. I've been in a Super Bowl pool, like when you buy squares. But that's fun. That's a one-off. Right, it's a party yeah, game. Exactly. It's a one-off. Uh, the, like you mentioned, the March Madness the brackets. Okay, that's fun. It's one time. Uh, what was it? Ten bucks? Twenty bucks? All right. If I win something, I do. I think last year. Last year, I think I won fifty bucks on a Super Bowl square. That was nice. Um, but. You know, that's it. And if I had lost, it was $5. So I was like, all right, I can afford to lose $5. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a little scary that now we're getting, we're getting kids doing this. And I would imagine if you get a little taste of success and maybe, I, I don't know. I've, like I said, I've never been a gambler. If you are a gambler and you can keep it anonymous, obviously on the text line, um, what is the allure? Because I know, you know, sometimes they say it's it's the rush of winning, but other other things I've read, it's there's something about the losing too that just keeps you coming back. You think maybe the next one, the next one. If I just hit this one game, then everything's going to be right, and you keep kind of going down a spiral. And I know that everybody who bets does not have a gambling problem. You can make some. You can make a few bets here and there, and you don't have a gambling problem. I don't understand the the allure of it, even with even with a team that I think is a lock. I'm not gonna. Uh, first of all, I don't know any bookies. I'm not. Gonna, and if I'm gonna bet, Matt, let's be honest. I don't want to use one of these high tech uh, websites. I want to find a bookie. I want to find a guy in a red booth at the back of a smoky bar. He's wearing sunglasses, even though it's really dark in the bar. Uh, maybe I call on an old-fashioned payphone. I have to find one first. I call him on the payphone. I put two nickels on uh, the pack to win on Sunday. I don't know if that's uh, $55 or if it's uh, $5,500 that I just put down, uh, which is dangerous when you don't know exactly how much you're betting. But that's how I want to bet. I don't want to go on. And it's amazing to me these sports books are now everywhere. Because it wasn't that long ago that sports betting, um, you did it in Vegas, but you know you didn't see it advertised everywhere. You didn't see the teams uh, cooperating with it. You didn't see the league getting involved in it. It has become huge, huge business, and and yet Pete Rose still cannot get in the Hall of Fame. So, who knows? Uh, but that's that. All right, listen, we've got some good news about a name change that is being reversed, and a woman uh, who did something so unbelievably dumb that I can't believe it actually happened. lot to get to, very little time. It's WTMJ Nights. Brian Nooner, WTMJ Nights. We're here until 8 o'clock. Then it's Brewers Weekly with Dom Catronio. Besides your... Baby, or your spouse or partner, is there anything you would crawl into a outhouse, climb down into to get? I cannot think of anything. Nothing. The reason I bring this up is because a woman in Michigan was rescued the other day after she got stuck in an outhouse. Uh, she was at she was at the in the woods at Dixon Lake in Michigan. She went into the, one of those uh, forest preserve outhouses, which are 
I think, honestly, they're a gateway to hell, but I can't, I can't be sure. But that's my opinion, anyway. Because we've all been in them. If you haven't been, count yourself as lucky. These are, these are three steps below the porta potty that you'll run into at your average festival. These are, you know, these are truly holes in the ground. So, um, you may ask yourself, well, why did the woman climb it? Matt, if you had to guess, why would a woman climb into an outhouse? She had to leave something important. What do you think it was? What, what would Phone? You, what, what would you, Nowadays? Oh, you know what? That's a very good guess. Phone makes sense. It's very close. It was her Apple Watch. Oh, come on. First of all, how does your Apple Watch fall off when you're in the outhouse? And how do you not notice that it's missing when you're in the outhouse? You have to wash your hands, I guess, if they have that. No, they don't have that. Or even but like it fell, it fell into the... You hear it splash, I'm guessing. Was it in the toilet? But, oh, it was in the hole. Yeah, she climbed into the Oh, you're the talking hole. about a rustic outhouse. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is not... This, this is not... Like I said... This is the uh, the forest preserve. This is at the at the lake at Dixon Lake. Okay. Outhouse bathroom. This was yeah. This was not a nice uh, plastic porta potty that you only have to go down a little ways. No, this was oh, you man. climb down. She climbs down, um, and as you can imagine, things did not go well once she got down there. She couldn't get back out, so now she's stuck down in the hole, and she's screaming. They're they're yelling for help. People walking by heard her. They told first responders um, that she dropped her Apple Watch. Then she lowered herself inside to retrieve it and could not get back out. This is the saddest part of the story. Uh, because I think up to this point, it's just been a stupid story. This is the saddest part. That the conservation officers from the Michigan Department of Natural Resources, state troopers, the uh, the emergency medical personnel with Otsego County, they all showed up, and uh, the state police said that they felt it was important to tell everyone that venturing inside an outhouse toilet is not a good idea, and they warn against it. That is um, a bad harbinger for the future of our society. If you have to tell people, hey, don't shimmy into an outhouse toilet, because you dropped your Apple Watch. I know you're probably disappointed, but trust me, you're going to be more disappointed if by some some miracle, and I put big air quotes around the word miracle, if you're able to shimmy down in there, into the muck, into the, the just disgusting, fetid stink that could be could be down there, and you find that Apple Watch, you are never going to want to put that on your wrist again. Even if it even if it's gonna work, which let's be honest, it's not gonna work. Uh would you do would you would you want to wear that? Absolutely not. Four one four that could literally be considered a life or death situation. The amount of nasty bacteria and everything else is crazy. Yes. There's nothing I have like I said, unless somehow you dropped your baby in there. Or, well, now here's the thing. I said your spouse or partner, but if that was my wife and she went, oh, no, I dropped my Apple Watch, I'm going to jump into the toilet in the outhouse, I may just, uh, one of those things where you really walk backwards to the car. You go, okay, honey, that's, 
that's good and enjoy yourself and you just keep walking backwards i don't have anything of a material nature that is that important that is just so gross um so the the police went on to say if you lose an item in an outhouse toilet do not attempt to venture inside the containment area serious injury may occur and if you've learned nothing else in the time that this show has been on the air please learn that as you venture out this weekend to enjoy the fall colors maybe do some apple picking maybe get some cider little apple cider donut if you're on your way to lambo on sunday and you stop at a forest preserve for a leisurely lunch don't you if you use the outhouse that's great just don't you know if your packer's hat falls in go on amazon and buy a new one don't go in and get it it's dangerous all right we'll do this and we'll come back quick story and then we got to get out of here it's wtmj night Brian Noonan with you for another few minutes. Then, after the news, it's Brewers Weekly with Tom Catronio. I finished the show with this because now all is right with the world again. Back in May, our universe was thrown into a little upheaval because the Kraft Heinz company announced that Oscar Mayer's huge hot dog on wheels, which had been called the Wienermobile since 1936, was being renamed. For the first time, and they changed the name to the Frank Mobile, which sounds like it should just be driven by a retiree. It should just be like a guy in uh, with socks and sandals and a plaid shirt, just uh, sitting at a diner. That's that's what the Frank Mobile means to me. But we are back. Yes, say goodbye to the Frank Mobile. The Wiener Mobile is back. Uh, yesterday, Oscar Mayer uh, announced via Instagram that the vehicle's name would be changing back. Our time with the Frank Mobile was franking righteous, said the uh, video. But like many of you, we missed our American icon. So we brought it back. Everybody on social media, very, very. This is one of the few things on social media where everybody seems to be in agreement. If, if only a few more of our more pressing issues could get this kind of universal support, it would be great. Everybody very, very happy about the Wienermobile. It's traveling the country right now. It's going to be making several stops in Wisconsin over the next few months. So keep your eyes open. If you've never seen the Wienermobile, it is a sight to behold. Uh, I got last, uh, last year at Mardi Gras, I got to see inside it. It is, oh my goodness, it is plush inside the Wienermobile. Uh, so there you go. Everything is golden. All right, we got to get out of here, make room for the news, and then Brewers Weekly with Dom Catronio. Thanks for listening and being part of the program. Matt, thank you as always. I'll talk to you again next week right here on WTMJ Nights.